0: Alright, you can go ahead and be seated at this time, except for our Sunday school classes, the 1st, 2nd, 3rd graders, you can go to your class, 4th, 5th, and 6th graders, you can head to your class at this time, and all the 7th through the 12th graders, you can go ahead and go to your class. The rest of us, we are in class right now. And if you would, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Second Timothy, chapter number 3. 2 Timothy chapter number 3 is uh, where we're going to be here this morning. We do have a handout, and hopefully, I I think we were running a little uh, low on those, so hopefully, I'm not going to ask if anyone needs one, I think we might have handed them all out. Um, But hopefully you have a a fill-in blank there, just an outline of our lesson this morning, uh, something you can uh, use if you'd like, follow along with that. Otherwise, uh, we'll just uh, stick to the Word of God. And so we're going to be in the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter number 3. And I'd like to read verses 14 down through verse 17 to the end of the chapter. And so if you're there, you can follow along. 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verse number 14, the Bible says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so uh, last week... You may remember, if you were here, we um, just gave a lesson uh, on building our house. And uh, in last week's lesson, uh, you may recall there were four points. The first was uh, the cornerstone, uh, talking about the cornerstone. How do we build our life, our, our, our homes? Uh, the cornerstone of our life and our homes and this church, it, it ought to be Jesus Christ. You know, and that is where it begins. If you're going to build a life, uh, the life that God wants for you, it starts with knowing Jesus Christ. And uh, mm-hmm. we talked about knowing Jesus as your Savior. That is when mm-hmm. spiritual life begins. And so how important that is. But you may remember the second, uh, the second point in last week's lesson was the foundation. So after you set the cornerstone, and we talked about how back in uh, Bible times, the cornerstone was hewed out; it was a perfect stone, and all other measurements were measured from that. Well, after you set the cornerstone in the building of a house, the next comes laying the foundation and that is really no different uh, today as we build homes. A uh, foundation is very important if you have a weak foundation the the house will crumble your life will crumble if your life is built upon the wrong foundation and so the foundation, which we we mentioned this last week, the foundation that we ought to have our lives built upon is the Word of God, this book, this book. And uh, so for our lesson here this morning, I want to, I wanna, a lot of this will be reminders uh, for each one of us. I want to give five points about this book, the Word of God, and really talk about how the Bible, which you know, why do we come to church and we open up the word of God? We don't come to uh, come to church or come to Sunday school and we're not opening up some, um, you know, there are many good books out there, very educational, but we stick to the word of God. The reason for that is because this book is is so it is different than any other book out there. It's supernatural. And so I want to give, um, give some reasons for that. But before we dig into uh, these uh, five areas that the Word of God is supernatural, I want to mention in this chapter, in 2 Timothy chapter number 3, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. And in this chapter, the Apostle is describing... The conditions of the last days. I believe we are living in the last days. The Bible tells us what that uh, will look like, and we check the boxes. In verses 1, really down through verse number 4, a, uh, Paul tells Timothy, he says, uh, This know also, verse number 1, that in the last days perilous times shall come. And then he elaborates and talks about how men will be lovers of their own selves. They'll be covetous boasters. Now, these are things that really man, um, since the fall of man, you go back to Adam and Eve. I mean, these are, these are things that sin uh, brought into the world. And it's just progressively gotten worse as time and time is, has gone on. Men are lovers of their own selves. Children are disobedient to their parents, unthankful, unholy. And so the Apostle Paul is talking about how in the last days perilous times will come and it will be all about man. It will be very self-centered. It will also be, there will be religion. Because verse number 5 he says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And so there's going to be religion. And you know what? We have many, many religions. I, I don't even know how many hundreds or thousands of religions there are today. But here's the thing. Uh, you know, today is certainly, if we just focus on America, there are many religions out there. And some are focused on ceremonies. Some are focused on on this earth some are focused on self happiness that's what the religion is i mean the the man has really uh, come up and created many many religions but here's the thing they're powerless religions having a form of godliness they're not of god but they have the form of godliness And so the last days are characterized by perilous times, powerless religion. Also, in verse 13, we see, leading up to our text, which we read just a moment ago, but Paul says this to Timothy. He says, not only is the world going to be, or man is going to be focused on themselves, there's going to be a powerless religion, but there's going to be an increase in false doctrine. In verse 13, he says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And boy, do we uh, see that today. I mean, evil is, is um, you know, with the help of social media today, messages, false messages, false religions, uh, people are deceived. They are so deceived today. And it's increasing. You know, they didn't have social media 2,000 years ago. I don't know how they got messages around, but certainly today, false religion, false doctrine can circle the globe within minutes. It spreads so easy. It's going to increase. It's going to wax worse and worse. And that's kind of a good description of of our conditions today because we are living in the last days. And those that seek to live for Christ, they will face persecution. And Paul said this to Timothy. He says, yea, in verse 12, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And he gives young Timothy some advice. In verse 14, the advice that Paul gives Timothy is this. One word, continue. Verse 14 says, Continue, but continue thou in the things that thou hast learned and been assured of. Continue. It has the same uh, meaning of, uh, of stability. You know, continuing in something. Continue. And notice it's continue in the things that you were taught at a young age. Timothy was taught the word of God at a young age. He was going to be tested that trials were coming. And then he points, he says, continue in the things that thou hast learned. Then Paul points to one thing. You know, in a day and age that we live in, I, it seems like trends, fad, or they're, they're, uh, they're, uh, things are constantly changing today, are they not? Um, someone was talking about um, the other day their wardrobe, Right. Uh, you know wardrobes—they get out of dated, outdated, and then you know twenty years later they're in in style, right? Things are constantly changing. Nothing ever uh, stays the same. That's a, a guarantee here in the in this world. Well, there are some things that uh, stay the same, but you get the point. Things are ever changing. Now, Paul, as he is encouraging Timothy here to continue. To be steadfast, he says, he points him to one thing, something unchanging in an ever-changing world. Something that shines bright and is faithful even in the darkest storms. And he says this, cling to the Bible, my son. As the, dark, the days get darker and darker, you need to take hold and stay steadfast in the word of God. And in our lesson here this morning, I want to talk about and give you, um, give you five ways the Bible is supernatural. And many of these I'm sure you, you know already, but you know, it is good to be reminded of this marvelous book that we have. Uh, it is indeed a supernatural book. And you know what? Paul's advice to Timothy, these almost 2,000 years ago, is still applicable to us today. In fact, I might argue it's more applicable today than it was to Timothy. Things were bad in Timothy's day, but they're only getting worse. As he says, it's waxing worse and worse. Oh, how we need the Bible today. You know, we need this book, this supernatural book, in, not only in our lives, We need it in our homes, we need it in our church, and we need it in our society today. And so five things this morning, and if you have a handout, there is a a fill-in blank, and so you um, you can fill those in as we go through them. But number one, point number one about the Bible, the Word of God, it is supernatural in its provision, in its provision. Look in verse number 16. The Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is given. The way God gave us this book is supernatural. You know, although it looks very similar to many other books, you know, some, sometimes if it's not, you know, we, we have labels on the outside of this book to tell us what it is. But, you know, if it didn't have a label... Many Bibles would look just like any other book, but you see, the Bible is very unique. Uh, it is unique. It is given by inspiration of God. Now what does that mean? Well, over in Second Peter chapter number one, and verse 21, I think this verse uh, tells us exactly what "given by inspiration of God" means. The Bible was given to us by God. It, it says in Second Peter chapter one and verse number twenty-one, it says, "For the prophecy, came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost." And so, what this verse is telling us is that this book was written by using the hands of men. Men penned it, but they were Uh, inspired by the Holy Ghost, which means man wrote this book, but the author is divine, God. Now, sure, God could have penned this book himself, could he not? He's God. He could have written this down and sent it down from heaven by the hands of angels or something like that, or brought it uh, himself. But no, he chose to use men. He chose to use man in giving us his word. You know, there were many different men who God used, not just one. Paul was not the only man that wrote portions of the Word of God. God used many different men to do this. However, the author was the same, the Holy Spirit, the divine author. And I'll give you an example of this over in 2 Samuel chapter 23. Second Samuel chapter 23 and verse number one. <clears throat> the Bible says of, uh, one of the men that God used to write his word was David, King David. We, in, we know David wrote, uh, boy, a, a good portion of uh, uh, Psalms. There were, there, David had uh, quite a bit uh, to do with writing the word of God. But in Second Samuel chapter 23, verse number 1, the Bible says this, Now these be the last words of David. David the son of Jesse said and the man who was raised up on high the anointed of the god of Jacob the sweet psalmist of Israel okay so it's it's king david the one that we know verse number 2 it says this david said this the spirit of god spake by me and his word was in my tongue and that is a that is a reference that david gives here of how the Holy Spirit used David to write and deliver and give us the word of God. And so this was not just David's thoughts. It was God's thoughts. And God used David. In fact, in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 25, we read about uh, shortly after Peter and John had been arrested and then they were interrogated uh, there by uh, the religious crowd, and they were released. They went back to church. They went back to that church there in Jerusalem. And uh, they actually make reference, who by the mouth of thy servant, in verse 25, who by the mouth of thy servant David hath said, why doth the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? You see, they're talking about, uh, the, again, they make reference of, uh, to David, who God used David. And so as we talk about how the word of God is supernatural in its provision or the way that it was given, what that means is that although written by human hands, this book is the very word of God. It is the word of God. God used men. That tells us that if this is the word of God, God gave us this book. It tells us one thing. God's perfect. He's infallible. And so, therefore, his word is infallible. No errors in its teaching. Can you believe that? You know, men have tried to find mistakes in the word of God. And, you know, its teachings have no errors. It's infallible. Uh, In fact, Psalm 119, verse 160, tells us this. Thy word is true from the beginning." means you can go back to the very beginning, Genesis 1-1, which says what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, man has come up with a different theory on how this world came to be. But the Bible says it's true from the beginning. So that tells us that evolution can't be right. Uh, The Big Bang Theory isn't how this world was created. You and I didn't come from apes or monkeys. Not all of us, at least. No, the Bible says God spoke this world into existence. So either God, who is infallible, he is without error, either in his, he tells us in his word how the world came to be. That means we can trust it. There is no error in its teaching. The verse in Psalm one nineteen one sixty 160 tells us thy word is true from the beginning and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. You see, the, uh, although this world one day will be burnt up, the one thing that will be eternal is this book. This book's going to be in heaven one day. Matthew 24 verse 35 says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. So, you know, we can get caught up in education and learning facts and things about it from books written by men, but understand if you invest your time in learning this book, it's going to pay off dividends for eternity. It's This book's going to be The only textbook in heaven, so to speak. But it's not the textbooks. It's the very word of God. God gave it to us. It just doesn't contain the word of God. It is the word of God. And so, understand this. Point number one, the Bible was given to us in a supernatural way. But number two, it was supernatural in its preservation. Now, uh, look in verse number 15. It says from a child, thou hast known the holy scriptures. Thou hast known the holy scriptures. Now, how was Timothy able to know the holy scriptures? You know, some uh, the the scriptures, many of them were written decades before Timothy. Go back to the Old Testament. That was that was written, um, you know, hundreds of years earlier. And Timothy certainly he did not have the uh, the manuscripts, the original manuscripts, and so understand this: God has chosen to preserve His Word throughout the ages. You know, there are those who say, "Well, I, you know, I believe in the inspiration of the originals." You know, when God uh, was inspiring. David, as he penned the Psalms, that's inspired of God. But we don't have those original manuscripts. You know, they're long gone. They're long gone. There are no originals to this book. So this book is a copy of another copy. And, and you, you see, God, though, or notice that here in our text, how Timothy received the word of God. As Timothy sat at the feet of his mother and grandmother. You know, they didn't have the originals. From a, from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. Yet Timothy knew the holy scriptures. He even though he didn't have the originals to read up, read from, he knew them. And so this speaks of the preservation of it you know it wasn't like timothy uh what got it uh got it mostly right um uh, he, the no, it's not talking about approximations or guesses that it was the holy scripture timothy as a child knew the word of god that's because he was taught it by his mother and grandmother now on a side note you know as timothy was taught the word of god as a child so too we can teach our children as young kids. There's no age, okay? We can start very young. They can know the Word of God. Now, God has given us a promise in Psalms 12, verse number 6. God has promised a uh, preservation of His Word. Over in Psalm 12, verse number 6, The Bible says this, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Now, aren't you glad that we have the word of God? This promise, God has said, I am going to preserve my word for the people of the 21st century from generation to generation. We have the word of God. And this is a miracle. This is supernatural. You know, I was um, recently, uh, boy, I think I I maybe mentioned this um, last week. But I was um, buying uh, my oldest boy a book for his birthday. And it was was an old book. It was from, uh, well, how many have read Pilgrim's Progress? Okay, so I think it was written in the 1600s sometime, the original book. Well, I was having, I I remember reading it. I thought Nathan would enjoy reading the book. And I went on to Amazon and I was like, all right, I'm going to order this. You know how many different versions and modifications? I'm like, which one did I read? I just want him to read the same one that I read. And so I don't think I got, I think I went with a more, you know, current version. I, I suppose. But you see, that is what happens to books written by men, right? They get updated. I don't know if the book that I read when I was uh, a young boy uh, is still around. I'm sure it is, but I don't remember. It was There were so many different um, versions of Pilgrim's Progress. And so, but, but here's the thing, the miracle of preservation with this book now I understand there are man has created different versions of the word of God but they're not the inherent word of God they may contain portions of the word of God but God has promised to preserve his word throughout history or throughout the generations and this miracle is extended through both the copying and the translation process Now, on the basis of God's promise, we can expect to have the pure word of God today. You know, after all, you say, well, okay, I understand God has promised that. I mean, can you point to one of his other promises that that he's failed in? You can't. He's fulfilled every single promise. So not only is the word of God supernatural in the way that it was given or provided to us, but also in how it was preserved. But then third, notice also it's supernatural in its power. In its power. Verse number 15, it says, um, the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. Understand this. The book not only contains the means of salvation, It is the agent, uh, or excuse me, it does not uh, only contain the message of salvation, it is the means of salvation, or it is the agent of our salvation. You see, without the Bible, without the Word of God, we would not be able to be saved. Look um, with me, well, you can turn there, but over in Romans chapter 10, and verse 17... Uh, we're going to read um, read this verse, but then uh, then I'm also going to read in 1 Peter chapter 1. But a very familiar verse to, I'm sure, some of uh, most of us. In Romans 10 verse 17, the Bible says, So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So faith there comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So we need the word of God uh, in order to have faith, and that's talking about faith in Christ as a means of salvation. Now over in First Peter chapter one, verse 21, 1 Peter chapter one, verse number 21. Peter writes, "Who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth." Through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Now, verse twenty-three is what I want you to focus in on. First Peter chapter one, verse number twenty-three. Being born again, okay. Born again is a term at salvation. Right, salvation, being born again, spiritual life, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever for all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man is the flower of grass the grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away but the word of the Lord endureth forever and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you you know people today don't need a sign by someone coming back from the dead. I'm reminded of um, the the story in Luke of the rich man and Lazarus. Remember, the rich man went to hell, and God opens up the and gives us a glimpse of the torture and the the terror in hell. And there's a conversation happening between the rich man who died without Christ and abraham and the rich man's plea was at first it was for himself it was just for a drop of water when he realized that wasn't going to happen he said all right send abraham or send lazarus back to uh from the dead so that my brothers i have brothers that are on their way here send send lazarus back you know people uh and, and what was the message there? Well, you know, if um, they're not going to believe Lazarus. You know, if they, if they don't believe, uh, people today, they need the word of God. You know, the, I think um, we don't need to turn there, but I think it says they have the prophets, right? They have the word of God. And if they don't believe the word of God, then they're not going to believe though someone raises from the dead. And so, you know, as, as we think about this today as soul winners, as uh, even Sunday school teachers or junior church teachers, understand, we get, I think we need to keep this in mind. Our job is simply to share the word of God. Our job is simply to teach the word of God. Let the power of God's word do the working. You know, th- this is a supernatural book. You know, our job's just to share it. That's it. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12 says that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's the power of, of God's word, Jeremiah twenty-three verse twenty-nine, is not my word like as fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? You know, as we, if we're talking about soul winners, you know, and you've ever shared the gospel with someone, have you ever thought that, oh boy, we're we're responsible for if this person trusts, accepts Christ as their savior or not? That's, a, that is a, that's a, a flawed way of thinking about it. It's not our job to get them saved. We can't do anything. Sunday school teachers, you might say, or, or junior church teachers, you know, if, you, if you've ever taught, it's, you, you, you can start to think, well, you know, I'm just not an effective teacher. Well, you know what? Uh, it's not so much about relating As a Sunday school teacher, it's not about you as a teacher. It's not about me. It's about the Word of God. The Word of God is the power. It's supernatural. And so let me, there's some things about the Word of God, things that I believe demonstrate its power. Number one, it has the ability to convict. The Bible calls it the sword of the Spirit, piercing the heart of man. It convicts and it converts. John chapter 6 and verse 63 tells us that it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. Now quickeneth, quickening, that is the action that saved is to be made alive. You see, uh, it's a pastor, uh, a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, doesn't matter. None of us, have the, none of us uh, can convert a person. It's the words that are in this book that can save. But not only does it convict, not only does it convert, but it also cleanses. John chapter 15, verse 3, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. And in the Word of God, chapter Psalm 119, verse 9, asks the question, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto, according to my, thy word. And then in verse 11, it says this, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. You see, the Word of God cleanses. The Word of God has power. It has power to save, it has power to cleanse. It certainly is able. It is able. And that is what verse 15 is all about. It is able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith. But real quickly, let me give you the last two. Um, It is also supernatural in its profit. It is profitable. Verse 16. uh, It says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so doctrine doctrine, is, um, is what is right. You know, the Bible, there's a verse, I didn't write the reference down, but it goes like this. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, and therein thereof are the ways of death. I may have misquoted that. I believe it's in Proverbs. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but it leads to death. Now, the word of God is profitable. You know, people today, are, they're searching for what is right, what is truth. You know, they're searching. And the Bible says that this book is profitable for doctrine. Doctrine is what is right reproof it goes on reproof is what is not right right it it, this book not only tells us what is correct what is truth what we can believe in but it also gives us warning says stay away from this correction correction is needed when we have erred and when we need to get things back in line and that's a that is a daily thing, for I'm sure most of us. Correction. We need to be corrected. But also instruction. It gives us four things here in verse 16. Doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction. Instruction is how to keep it right. Today, this is invaluable. This is invaluable. People are searching for answers in life they're they're questioning what is the purpose of life and you know every week i see uh, a a headline of some young person whether it's a sports uh, someone in college a sports athletic star in ath uh, or or uh, someone some celebrity and every week i i hear about and you know if it's happening with them it's happening across america people taking their own lives why would someone take their own lives if if they if they thought their life had purpose they wouldn't do that they're asking questions is there a god is there a heaven is there a hell well you know they're they're searching for happiness most people and and here's the thing this book is profitable in these matters it tells us answers it's truth uh it tells us answers to all of these questions that people have today yet most of most people many societies despise the bible you know how is that they despise it they belittle it they mock it they curse it they curse the god of the bible but, you know, those people that mock this book, that curse the God of this Bible, they also, I would argue, never read this book, <laughs> and they never take heed to it. They discard it just as another book. That's why I say this. This book is supernatural. It's supernatural. You know, Christian, this book is supernatural in its profit. You can not only uh you know it not only provides a means for eternal life and if that's all that this book gave us was the way of salvation that is priceless right we could just we could close it up and say you know what if this book only provided a way to salvation so we could have eternal life a home in heaven that's priceless there's nothing uh there's nothing more valuable than that but understand this it doesn't end there it's also a means for the happiness in the here and now and so we as christians we cut it short so often and don't understand how profitable this book is but then lastly last point it is supernatural in its purpose and this plays right into this look in verse number 17 tells us this that the man of god okay this is talking about the person who is saved the man of god may be perfect thoroughly furnished unto all good works unto all good works thoroughly furnished your life has purpose and it is it's um and so god intends for believers to be thoroughly furnished and what that means is complete Um, not sinless but complete inside and out from head to toe thoroughly furnished that's what god's will is for you and i it's to grow not just be stationary uh, in our christian life it's to grow and how important is it to grow well it's it's very important over in hebrews chapter five and we won't read this whole passage of scripture but paul is is writing here he says, for the time, or for when the, well, there was a time, you ought to be teachers. What was it? He was chastising the Hebrews here because they were they were acting like babies. They were um, being fed with milk, the milk of the word, the very basics in God's word, rather than the strong meat. And he calls them babes. You know, he says, you're supposed to be more mature than this. You know, Christians can't stay babies forever. If you're recently saved, you're a baby Christian spiritually speaking. Now you may be 60 years old, 70 years old, but you're still spiritually a baby. And so spiritually you need to grow and mature. You can't stay a baby forever. And that's what Paul is saying here in Hebrews. You you should have been teachers, but you weren't. You were immature. Now, what were some of the strong meats that they should have been eating from? Well, if we read on in chapter 6, it talks about the doctrines of baptism. Um, uh, And so it goes on. You see, salvation is the milk of the word. That is the very basics. This whole book points to Jesus as the way of salvation. But there is, doctrinally, there's so much more to be thoroughly furnished. And so, um, over in Hebrews chapter six and verse number nine, it says this: "But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you, and things that accompany salvation." You see, there's more to this book than salvation. Now, um, salvation, the gospel, needs to be preached, and um, but there's more to it. This book has more than just salvation. There's more than, uh, to God's word than salvation. These are the things that accompany it. You know, it's similar to growing up. Um, all of us are, I would consider us grown-ups in the room. You know, the joys of, um, of marriage, you know, uh, having your own kids, those are things that cannot be experienced by a young child, can they? Right? But as, as a, the child grows up, into maybe a teenager, then a young adult, and then they get married, have kids. There's joys that accompany things like marriage, having your own family. And there's struggles, too. Don't get me wrong. But that comes from maturing. And, um, you know, and over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, again, another reference where Paul has to write to the church here, And he has to speak unto, uh, he he could not speak unto them as unto spiritual things, but unto carnal things. It's because they wanted to stay baby Christians. And so this book is all about becoming a man or a woman of God, not remaining a spiritual baby. And it's full of maturity. The Bible talks about studying to show ourselves approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Another point on this, babies don't reproduce, do they? Well, immature Christians never reproduce other Christians. And so, thoroughly furnished, it also means that everything we need for this life, we have between the covers of this book. This book applies to all ages, That's why it's being opened up in our young uh, Sunday school classes for the younger kids. Why? Because this book applies to them. That's why we've opened this book up in the adult Sunday school class. Because it not only applies to the toddlers, to uh, the teenagers, to the adults, it applies to all of us. It also applies to all situations, whether you're single, married, married. You have a family, you don't have a family, this book applies to us all. There is a purpose for this supernatural book. And it is for us to be complete or mature Christians. And so as we wrap up here, you know, as we are living in perilous times, the last days, it's easy to get discouraged, is it not? As a Christian, it's easy to be kind of laid back in your Christianity. But have we taken the same advice that Paul gave to Timothy? As he talked about Timothy's world and uh, the day and age that Timothy lived in, we are very much in the same situation here. Paul's advice to Timothy was cling to the word of God, cling to the book, It is supernatural. You know, and if anything else in this lesson, hopefully you have been reminded of the supernatural book that we hold in our hands. It was provided to us in a supernatural way. God gave this book to mankind, to you and I. It's been preserved for you and I today in a supernatural way. It has power. Not only the power to save, which, praise God for that, but also the power to cleanse. And it is profitable. It is profitable. And it is supernatural in its purpose for us so that we may grow, so that we don't have to remain baby Christians. We can grow into the man or woman that God has for us to be. Anyway, thank you for your attention. Um, You can go ahead and be dismissed at this time. Thanks.